this episode had a cold open. That was interesting. Actually, when it started, I got a little confused. I was like, wait, am I watching like a recap or did I, is, did I skip forward <laughs> or something? It made me more likely to watch the whole opening. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make me likely. I skipped it. <laughs> I, lo I love the opening. I, I, it gets me excited. I'm ready to go. Okay, let's just skip over this intro and okay, here we go. It's a terrible day for rain. Hello and welcome to Full Metal Analyst, a podcast covering each and every episode of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Hosted by free riders who cry at funerals and are therefore more manly than Roy Mustang. I'm Michelle and as always with me we have today, Arthur. How are you doing, Arthur? Doing good. And Mike. Hello, Mike. Doing great as well. Getting to the top of the pyramid scheme. <laughs> Of life. What? <laughs> of life. Okay. Let's start the episode as we always do with our improvised recap. It's the moment in the episode where one of us does an improvised 21 second recap based on the roll of a dice. So one will be me, two will be Arthur, three will be Mike, and four we roll again. So let's roll the dice. One. God damn it, Arthur, you now go. Ready? Ready. Three, two, one. So the everyone receives a visit, visit from the Fuhrer, and he's like, guys, don't look into this anymore. There's something really dangerous going on. And everyone is like, okay, Fuhrer. And then Hughes is like, wait a second, I just realized something. And he goes to the library, but then Lust comes in and attacks him. And then he crawls out, and then he gets shot And because he found out something about the government or whatever. Nice. Pretty good. Pretty good, yes. That's a, this is the uh, conspiracy episode. Hughes is read too far up in the Wikipedia plot summary, and so he needs to be taken out of the, the story. He figured out the shape of the nation. What, what makes you think that? Because he said there's a, uh, you know, there's blood and unrest in a specific part of the country. And then someone was like, yeah, also in the north and the west, you know. And I think that's when he looked at the map and realized maybe there's some kind of transmutation, massive transmutation going on here. You know what I mean? Okay. Hmm. Could be. That's a theory. That's it's pretty theory? thin. It's a thin theory, but that's what, and, and then he, of course, you know, runs to go tell Colonel Mustang and not. I want to say Colonel Mustard, but I know it's Mustang. <laughs> he first, was... Yeah. First, he says, "I have to tell the Fuhrer," doesn't he? Yeah, I thought that was strange. I don't think that's what he says. I just feel like he says, "I have to tell somebody." Maybe. What does he say in the dub? Uh, well, I mean, fun stuff, fact, I actually should love to, to be on a little bit of a tangent right now. This is actually the episode that won me over. I'm going to watch the rest of the show in the dub now. So <laughs> yes. I feel so bad for my Join fellow us. sub folks, Join but us. I Join have us. been taken. I have been taken by the, the dub. It was this episode. I think the, I feel like the whole thing was really well acted and, uh, and it was like very entertaining to hear it all being spoken in English. So I kind of was just like, oh, you know what? Let's just stick around and watch the whole thing in the dub. Wonderful. Dub, dub sub, or dom? <laughs> God damn it. Please cut that. <laughs> <laughs> but to confirm it, yes. So he says that, well, in the library, before he's attacked, he says, I have to tell the Fuhrer. But Mike, what do you make of that? I don't want to, like, come up with, with any theories because, Mike, you're the one watching this for the first time. I want to know what do you make of that, like. I think he, uh, well, I mean, it's clear that he, that Colonel Mustang has designs on being the Fuhrer. I think that was very obvious, you know, they wanted us to know that. And um, Hugh is loyal to Colonel Mustang. And I thought it was strange that his first inclination was to tell the Fuhrer. Maybe it was just his, you know, duty calls, like, that's what I must do. 
but you know, he obviously decides not to. He makes a conscious decision not to. I think they were just trying to hang a lantern on on the idea that that this this has to be a secret. That this is not something the Fuhrer, that this is something the Fuhrer could be involved in. There is something this episode does that I really enjoy is that by having that thing at the opening, the little scene at the opening where it's back in the war and you see you just making a promise to help Roy get to the top, that scene kind of frames Hughes' actions in a different light. Something I realize is that it's totally possible. It's totally possible for you to watch this scene and to be like, oh, he's not going to tell the Fuhrer, he's going to tell Roy so Roy can take the credit. Like that's something you can totally come up. Like you can totally figure that out. We do know that Hughes is trying, like wants to help Roy sort of seize power. Yeah. He's also the first one that uses the word genocide about the genocide. Hmm. Every single one of these characters, except for maybe Anna now are war criminals. <laughs> they, they are war criminals, but Roy is at least a, uh, are you going to say a good know. war criminal? <laughs> no, I'm going to say he's a war criminal who's very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's repentant. He wants to, you know, be a better leader than the leader who made this happen, right? Yeah, he does. You know, we all make mis- mistakes, I-, I guess. Yeah, sometimes we <laughs> commit, the, <laughs> commit a genocide, genocide or two. You ever burned yeah. a whole city? <laughs> <laughs> Just the whole thing? Only half. <laughs> yeah. And I said I was sorry about that. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, you're a good guy. <laughs> you know, people can do bad things. Characters can do bad things. Yeah. And we can still be on their side if we understand them and, like, where they're coming from. That's kind of the main thing. I just think there's something off about that Fuhrer guy. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's that whole Fuhrer title. Maybe it's the eye patch. But there's it's something the, it's not the whole, right like, <laughs> He doesn't open his eyes. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, under, yeah, just, yeah under that eye patch. Another eye patch? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to our next segment called uh, No Hughes. No. Yes. Yeah, we no talked so much about Roy, and it's like this is the episode where Hughes dies. That was so He's sad. So good. They, so they really just go out of their way to make him like. Like, his family just loves him so much. It would be so terrible if anything were to happen to him. When, uh, yeah, when, en- is it Envy? When he tur- when Envy turns into his wife, that's such a, Ooh. it's so jarring. It's like, you know, he's so, he was, he's, he's a survivor. Like, yeah, I'm really, it was impressive how well he, he never panics. He never freaks out. I love characters. Maybe because that's not like me at all, you know. <laughs> but I love yeah. characters who are in, da- in in these horrible moments of danger. They they remain completely calm while they're bleeding out, while things are while the whole world is collapsing around them. And they can't possibly win. They're they're hoping for a chance. They're staying calm and they're looking for the opportunities. And that's what he was doing. And he was doing such a good job. And it and it got him on his weak spot. You know, they they got him on the one thing he couldn't do. He couldn't just murder his. Uh, even someone that looked like his wife, you know? Yeah. yeah, and they're using, like, not only do these enemies have no humanity themselves, but they're willing to use people's humanity against them. Oh, wow. Dang. Well said. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized this show still really worked when I was watching that scene, and I knew it was coming. I've probably seen that scene three times, how many times I've seen this show, but my heart was still, like, beating like crazy, and I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, oh, shit, like, what? Like, maybe I this was time. still really hooked. <laughs> maybe this well, time he'll do it. Like, but, th- but that's the it's thing. It's so right? tragic. 
there's something about the fact that even when we rewatch scenes where characters we love die, there's a part of us that's like, maybe this time they'll get away, even though we know they won't. Yeah, it's it's a good tension, like a really well constructed tension. And like, I did, I wanted to bring up the topic of like death in series and Mm -hmm. movies, and like people don't really have the like mental capacity to really process just death as a concept so it's like someone dies it's like okay they're dead but what the best pieces of media do and what this does is it makes you feel the absence of the person who died the death wouldn't have felt as bad if he wasn't just about to tell a vital piece of information to mustang he lo- we lost, like something got lost, not just his life, but like a, 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 an objective. Didn't right, it? like his, like Hughes not being around anymore is now like an obstacle that the characters who remain alive have to overcome. There could be the problem where if that was the only thing this episode provided regarding Hughes' death, if the only bad thing about it was that the characters were deprived of a piece of information, I think his death wouldn't have hurt as much as it did like i feel like we all know a show where a character dies and we're all like we don't care like it's an important moment in the plot but we don't care that's all yeah he's he's bonded with people he he's made plans it's like next time you come to central make sure you stay with us winry like oh my gosh even as he's dying yeah and now on the train being like uh he's he is a good so guy. annoying. He, He's so annoying. I hate him. Oh, you're right. I love him. <laughs> yeah, like, he did yeah. visit us in the hospital. That was like that was really cool. He is a good guy, and like uh, that that just made it hurt because you you realize that those things are are the things that are gone. They're playing for keeps, and it all comes down to that scene where they have Alicia be like, "Why are they bare?" <laughs> Even say it. I, I de- Why are they burying daddy? Like, daddy has to go to work. <laughs> oh, God. Which, which we laugh, but it's such a fucking heart-wrenching scene. It's, it's heart-wrenching. It, that one was so heart-wrenching that it made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but... but it, 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 something it, wrong with me, but, like... No, 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 no. I, does she really I, not I, get I, it? <laughs> I, no, I, I feel like it, it comes down to that thing you said, that we don't process death. It's true. She knows he's gone, but some part of her doesn't want to process that. And so it's that true. part of her is overpowering. There's, um, if I can come go into a little bit of philosophy, but there's a philosopher called Willem Flusser. And he's a philosopher who talked about communication, about language, about all that. And he and said he that. Communi- <laughs> Sorry. Well, Sorry. <laughs> He, he said something very interesting, which he said that communication is the one thing humans have that most animals don't have in, in terms of language. Like animals don't come up with a series of symbols that they ascribe meaning to. And then they go like, if you combine these symbols in a certain order, it forms the word chair. And the word chair means a chair. Humans are the only creatures in the world that have that. And he says that the reason why is because humans are painfully aware of their death. Like, we are aware that at one point we are going to die. And to keep ourselves from falling into despair and to giving in to, to that gnawing hole in our hearts, we came up with language so that we can communicate and ascribe meaning to life. 
And everything we do with language is in some way dealing with the concept of death. Well, and I think language leads to oral tradition. It's not just giving meaning to life. It's by communicating to other people, we are leaving ourselves, parts of ourselves behind. I also identified, I identified with the way he was like, you know, you know, what terrible creatures alchemists are, where, you know, even while he's standing here, he's trying to do the calculations on how he could, how he could make it work. And I think, I don't know, I think that's a very human, you know, maybe alchemists are worse, but like humans do that. Like we all stand there sad, moved by something and running through the calculations of how we can fix it. We just feel so guilty for trying to, to you know, to, to, you know, figure things out. This is a deep, deep, deep dive, and I and I really am very curious about what you guys say. What is Ed and Al's need? What is what is their character need? I know what they want. So, they want their bodies back, but what do they need? So before we explain, in screenwriting, there's this very true and try idea where for a character to work, for a character to be memorable, for a character to be relatable. They, want, they need to have a want and a need. Want is the outwards thing that propels them towards the story, that propels them to do action. So Ed and Al want to get their bodies back. That's the want. That's the what propels the story. The need is some deeper character, well, need, that the characters will realize throughout the story. I feel like their need is to feel human. I think, I think the need is to hang on to their humanity and not to lose it. I just feel like everything they do while on the outside, it looks like they just want to bring back their bodies. On the inside, there's some deeper desire to prove to themselves that they're still human. I wondered if it was to forgive themselves, but I think you're right. I think it might That's have That's a been. good one. I, I just think <laughs> that whatever the truth behind the truth is of creating an alchemist stone, I think it must directly relate to their character needs. I think so, and because... They want to maintain their humanity and not murder people in order to create one of those things. Yeah. yeah. The whole show is about humanity. Like, again, it's like the enemies are the opposite of human. They're very inhuman. Like, they're, they don't have, like, empathy and love and all those, that good stuff. But it's telling that they're artificial humans. Because that's what the name humunculus means. It means artificial human. True. Yeah. Hmm. So if you think about what they, ha- what they don't have that humans have, you kind of get at the, at the core of what the need of the show is. What arguably they don't have are souls, if you allow yourself to get that philosophical. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I want to keep like coming back to this question as the show goes on. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like when they get their need, the show will be over. Yeah. Yep. To take a detour from an incredibly smart and genius conversation to oh, something dumb. So uh, Guys! There's yeah. a black character in the show. Did you oh, see yeah. Him? I did. Oh. I totally saw him. I was like, huh, look at that guy. Pop the <laughs> Racism is solved. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> uses subordinate. So his name is Captain Fokker, and I just feel like, you know, I got to point out when I see when I see one of us. We see you, Captain Fokker. When Armstrong says that someone higher up is sort of restricting the information that he could give Colonel Mustang. I assume that that's the Fuhrer. He did like give an order for them to be like, do not tell anyone about this. Right. It's all, it all seems very on the surface. Like it seems pretty clear to me that the Fuhrer is involved in this conspiracy. He's, he's probably not in charge of it. You know, he almost reminds me of like, you know, Mr. Topham, Topham Hat from, uh, 
<laughs> what? Thomas. From Jane. Thomas and Friends? <laughs> yes. What? No, elaborate. Now, nah, please. Oh, man. Because he's in charge of this industrialized area where there's a, there's a lot of trains. And, you know, he's, he's, he's a human. And, no, you know, he's like a figurehead. You know what I mean? Like, he's a status quo represent represent of what a Fuhrer would look like if you were drawing a quick Fuhrer of, a, of an authoritarian, uh, militarized, uh, steampunk state society like this. Like, the, the Fuhrer is not an interesting character at all. He's not, he doesn't, he's not like Colonel Mustang. We don't know his humanity. We don't understand his reasons. And I, I kind of see him as a, I mean, I think he's great. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he's a tool of the people who are really the, the enemy, the, the homunculi, these, the, the great, I don't know what I'm exactly talking about, but I think that the greater conspiracy at work here yeah. is, is involved. Have you guys read that New Yorker article about the like uh, repressive authoritarian soul of Thomas the Tank Engine? Yes, and I completely agree with that. I've watched really? a lot of it. I've watched a yeah, lot of it. There's like- It's fascinating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like the messaging in that cartoon, it's like backed up by the kind of guy the creator of Thomas was. Well, there's like this one train that like refuses to work. Yeah. And, and like, and they end up like, <laughs> they end up like these trains are alive, I guess. And they end up like boarding up a tunnel with the train, with the living train inside. <laughs> being like, <laughs> Oh my god. Won't yeah, work, and, will you? <laughs> and then the last line of, is like, I think he deserved his punishment, don't you? Oh my god. <laughs> Which can take away the rails and leave you here for always and always. <laughs> they, just, they force them to work, too. They force them to work and they're, they can't leave. They're, they're stuck on the tracks. All they can do is just go from place to place and there's only one authoritarian human who controls it all. The Fuhrer. Mr. Topham Hat. On that very happy note, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment, Mikey at the Bat. I'm ready. Well, Mike, you did guess that they were tra- going to travel, but you didn't guess right where they were going to travel to. But it's so okay. One, one more bug to eat. <laughs> <laughs> now it's your turn to guess what's going to happen in the next episode based on the name Miracle at Rush Valley. Mm, so Rush Valley is going to be adjacent to Dublin, where their teacher is. And there's a miracle there because someone will be doing some kind of magical alchemy sort of thing, but they won't be doing it the traditional way. It'll be something new that they haven't seen before. They'll have to, they just have to investigate it. And when they investigate it, they'll find that it is in fact alchemy after all. That's my theory. That's my guess. Cool. All right. (laughs) So now let's give the episode our grades and... If my effusive praise wasn't clear enough, I'm giving this episode a five stars out of five. I thought it was amazing. And the scene of Huge's assassination. Um, honestly, if you want to know how to do a fucking tense, terrifying scene of suspense, that's a good scene. The moment when Envy as Ross breaks the facade of the disguise is, I think, one of the great examples of animation. It's a five out of five for me. I'm a little torn. Yeah, I think it's either a 4.5 or a five. So I'll split the difference. 4.75. Because (laughs) it's like, it's really good. I love this. I love this episode. It's like near perfect. I think everything to do with Hughes was pretty much perfect. Like 
so tragic, so well built. And like the only reason it wasn't a five, I guess, is that the whole episode wasn't all about that. <laughs> there's like some other there's some other stuff going on, like in the hospital room and stuff. But it's it's basically a five. Yeah, I think you have to give it a five because or or I have to. <laughs> I'm changing mine to a five. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to give it a five. Yeah, I mean you, you have to. Give it to a... <laughs> well, you know. Arthur, well, you I can't be the who doesn't give this episode a five because it was really good. <laughs> Arthur, if you don't give it a five, he'll kill us. Yeah, you. you, you do. <laughs> well, look, it's it like, could have been. <laughs> the show it's, continues to surprise me because it's like one of those things where it's a very plotty. It's a lot of a lot of plot happens a lot, but at the same time, they're very good at relating all those plot moments to character moments. You know what I mean? Making it all count in in a way that you remember it it matters to you. It took you like no time at all to explain what's going on. Ed's leaving to go see his teacher with Al and and Hugh gets killed when he figures out something. You know, that's all that happened. Plot-wise, almost nothing happened. But character-wise, it's, uh, you know, it really dug into the, the this this moment. This te- this tension was really melted really well. I, I, I dug it, you know, it's really cool. I just imagine a scene where it was like Arthur being like, I'm going to give it a, a, a four. And then Mike is like, but Arthur, you have to give it a five. And then you just have goes, to. And Arthur goes like, <laughs> that's weird because the real Mike uh, has a, uh, has a t- freckles on his cheek. And Mike just goes, you're really perceptive. <laughs> just like, remember all he remembered. <laughs> I love that voice. Can I just say that real quick? I love MD's dub voice. It's like, it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's such a great voice. It's perfect. Uh, and it's like, it's, like they found a perfectly uh, what do you call it? androgynous voice to match the character, and it's also terrifying because when that switch happens, when it goes from like Ross's normal voice to, oh my mistake, you just go oh oh shit oh ah. all right now it's time for what did we learn uh, today? We learned to never use payphones; they're dirty. <laughs> Uh, when was the last time you used a payphone? Oof, man. You know, I don't know if I've ever actually seriously used one. <laughs> Back in Brazil, on the street I used to live in, there used to be a bunch of payphones that were covered from tip to toe in stickers with phone numbers for sex workers. So it was like, for a good time, call XX. Just like the entire place was covered in those. <laughs> Just for the for the occasional person who enters a payphone booth and is like, Hmm, I don't really have anyone to call, but I'll just I, dial the first number I see. I sure would like to have a good time, <laughs> you know? Oh, my, oh my, I would enjoy a good time. Well, we, we went to the science museum, and we had popcorn. <laughs> was really she showed fun. me the movie Good Time with Robert Pattinson. <laughs> and then I, then I won her a big teddy bear at the fair. That was great. I, I, hope, I hope everyone calls this number from now on. So if you want to have a good time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FM Analysts. That's FM Analysts on Twitter. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a message. We love to hear back from our listeners. Yeah, uh, write us on Twitter if you have any like specific questions or things you want us to talk about or thoughts on the episode, and we'll, we'll give you a shout out. That'll be all for now. We'll see you next time on Full Metal Analysts. Until then, stay frosty. Bye. Bye.